Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and we are recording this episode on Wednesday, February 10th, 2021. The reason for this episode is Major League Baseball and the Players Association agreed on the rules to play ball in 2021. No, Universal DH is still not happening for whatever reason, but seven-inning doubleheaders are, and so is the runner in second base to start extra innings. If you are an old-school baseball fan, those two rules will not make you happy. We got a taste of them over a 60-game season in 2020, but how will these two rules work over a 162-game season? We'll discuss later in the show. But starting off this podcast, we take a look at the season projections from Baseball Prospectus and Fangraphs. For Baseball Prospectus, they named their projections Pakoda, and boy, the mean projection is not kind to the 2021 White Sox. But for Fangraphs, those projections paint a much rosier, better picture for this upcoming White Sox ball club. Then there are the odds coming from Vegas and sportsbooks around the country, and they conflict pretty in a big way what Fangraphs and Bacota are projecting. So let's talk about season projections and how the models came to these results. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis, and hello, Jim. As a White Sox fan, if you felt a little too optimistic about the upcoming season, I got to tell you, one look at Pakoda, and uh, that'll pop your enthusiasm balloon. Are you talking about us being too <laughs> rosy, too optimistic? Yeah, it's although, you know, with Pakoda, um, you know, I, I wrote about it and there's the number. There's the there's the final win loss record projection. 83 wins, like barely an improvement, like within a rounding error. Uh, improvement of what they did last year. And that seems preposterous, or at least, you know, just especially like behind the Indians scoring or barely more runs than the Indians. Like it doesn't really hold up. Even non-Sox fans look at it the same way. Like Dan Hayes thought he, you know, I think he wrote that he wrote about the projections as if he assumed that the White Sox were just in second and then caught it later that <laughs> they were not. So uh, it seems like there is a lot of skepticism around that number. But when you look at the shape of the curve and you look at some of the projections underneath it, you can kind of understand how it got to that number. And you can also you know use that to say like, oh, that's, you know, hammer the over on Pakoda. Um, but then you look at some of the other underlying factors and you say like, well, you know, the higher numbers... Are, are more of a test 
Yeah, and let's start with Bakoda, and we'll we'll walk through each one. Bakoda, Fangraphs, and what Vegas is currently having at their sports books around the country. So Bakoda right now is projecting the 2021 Chicago White Sox to finish 83 and 79, and that would be good for third place in the American League Central, as Jim just mentioned. And it gives the White Sox a 13.4% chance of winning the division. So if Pakoda did a thousand simulations of the 2021 season, the Chicago White Sox win the American League Central 134 times. And that's not a very high volume. And Jim, as you touched on, yeah, if you look at the depth chart projections for the Chicago White Sox, again, these are the 50th percentile projections. So if you really want to dig deep into Pakoda, they do have the data available uh, if you are a member of Baseball Prospectus, where you can go all the way up to see a player's 99th percentile projection and a player's 1th percentile projection. Absolutely rock bottom. Uh, and they try to cover all the ground. And they do that as well for the team projections. There is a simulation that has the Chicago White Sox winning 105 games in 2021. There's also a simulation that the White Sox only win 62 games in 2021. So take that as a best case, worst case scenario. And then boom, that's how you get to 83 wins as you hit it right smack in the middle. But with Pakoda, especially in the offense, Jim, if you look at Jose Abreu's numbers, they're projecting 30 home runs, 98 RBIs. Okay, that's pretty spot on. Aloy Jimenez, 33 home runs, 90 RBIs. We think he'll at least hit 30. There's some that think he'll hit 40 or more, but is your 50th percentile projection. <laughs> I thought you were going to mention uh, Terezi saying 74. Yeah, we're not, no. Uh, <laughs> but, but you know, 33, that's a good, mean projection. And then you look at, and then you also look at Nick Magical. Picota is actually really high on Magical. Uh, they are projecting that Magical over... 493 plate appearances will hit 295 with a 349 on base percentage and slug 408. That is a really good projection for Nick Magical entering his first full season. So for Abreu, Magical, and Jimenez, I feel like those are good offensive projections. Everybody else, not good. Yoan Mikata, 243 batting average, on base percentage 334. Slugging 426. That's like 2018 Yoan Mikata. Uh, Luis Robert, Bakota's thinking we'll see more of September Robert than August Robert, in which they are projecting that Robert will hit 234 with a 298 on base uh, percentage and slug 427. Tim Anderson, again, the projection models still are fighting against Anderson, thinking there's no way he can carry this high of a bab up. And they project that Anderson will only hit 271 uh, in 2021. And just like any projection model, nobody knows what to do with Andrew Vaughn because he didn't play in the minors in 2020. So there's really no way to project on how he'll do in the major leagues in 2021. So they got to take what they have from 2019. And boy, those numbers are not pretty. They've got Andrew Vaughn hitting 220. 289 on base percentage and slugging 335. And uh, shockingly, that would still be an improvement upon what the White Sox had at the designated hitter role in 2020. Uh, but Jim, you know, for Bakota, if fans ask, why does Bakota think the White Sox are only going to win 83 games? When you look at the offensive projections, it's pretty simple. Bakota thinks the White Sox are going to take a step back offensively. Do you share that sentiment? I don't. And, you know, I, I think with Moncada, you know, he had a rough first full season, a great second full season, third season. Yeah, I don't think there's a way that Pakoda or Zips or any algorithm can uh, enter in the unique challenges that COVID-19 posed for Moncada. So I understand that. Uh, and, and I wouldn't expect him to be great, uh, you know, project well, and I, and I can see him beating it and nobody being that upset. You know, Vaughn, I can see the same thing, just shrugging your shoulders and, and saying this. So what numbers say that we have no other numbers in this alternate training site. Numbers can't be plugged in. So this is what's there. So be it. Uh, you know, Luis Robert, you mentioned, seems a little bit uh, pessimistic, even with his extreme aggression, which forecasts really never 
take well. <laughs> but I think when it comes to Tim Anderson, that's the one that confuses me because that line, 271, 306, 438, that's what basically he was his rookie season, and he hasn't been that guy since. He's been worse than that for two years, and then he's been way better than that since. And you would think that with the you know, recency bias being factored in, just you know, it, it tends to weigh more heavily recent years. You would see the guy who won the batting title in 2019, and then the guy who nearly won the batting title in 2020. Uh, you, you see those two years, and you think, okay, this is a different guy. And then you see the numbers that average out like below his career averages. That doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. So that's the one where I think I maybe, you know, aside from maybe the pitching projections, which I think are also pretty bearish across the board. Uh, I think position player wise, that's the one that made me think this doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Okay. So on the pitcher side, let's talk about that. What jumps off the screen from you when you are looking at baseball prospectus and say, I can't agree with what you guys are projecting. Well, I think the Giolito, Lynn Keuchel, Troika, um, you know, having seen Giolito project as the best starter by zips and then seeing him be the 19th best starter, according to uh, Pakoda, and then seeing, you know, Lance Lynn being okay, you know, a little bit above average, but nothing remarkable. Keuchel being barely average. Uh, that's all a little bit, um, you know, when you look at the three of them and then see just Number two projections, number three projections across the board for them, that's a little bit uh, underwhelming. And yeah, I think the one maybe defensive Pakota is that like when you look at the pitcher projections across the board, there aren't a whole lot of, you maybe after like 10 to 15 pitchers, the projections all kind of muddle into average. Uh, it seems like pitchers have a hard time escaping it. So maybe that's one case where if you look at the context of Pakota, you see Keuchel being barely clearing the bar and you think like, yeah, it just, that that's how the system is. But, uh, you know, when you have those three projections being okay, but, you know, not awesome or inspiring, then you have the uncertainty behind them. That's what makes it, I think, a little bit uh, puzzling or not as good. You know, it, it definitely uh, pops the balloon a little bit if you let it. And I don't think there's a reason to let it like that. What is fascinating to me, so for baseball perspectives, they have a stat deserved run average. They're trying to really highlight what pitchers deserve as far as runs allowed in their starts, in their appearances. And it's kind of like a ERA plus that we see uh, in baseball reference. They have, you know, DRA minus. Uh, so it works very similar, which 100 is league average. And if you're a pitcher, every number below 100 is what percentage you are better than league average. Every number above 100 is what percentage you are below league average. And you mentioned that Giolito, they have Giolito as a top 20 starting pitcher. His deserved run average negative score is 84. So they think Lucas Giolito is going to be 16% better than league average in 2021. And while that is good, when I say that aloud, Jim, for where Lucas Giolito has come in his career and how well he threw in 2020, and of course what we saw from him, uh, in 2019, I feel like he's going to be better than 16% league average. That's where I'm at. Uh, and, you know, you can, there are ways that he doesn't get there. You know, if he gets injured or has a couple of bad starts that balloon it to uh, just, it creates a hard hole for him to dig out of. Then I can see a case where just some rough starts color is ERA to where it doesn't resemble the pitcher he was for most of the season. But yeah, it just DRA is a stat to me that I can't quite wrap my arms around um, just because I think there is value in it. But season to season, like, it, you know, a lot of times it seems to, at least in my experience, whenever I, I track it in season, it seems like it has a tendency to you know, be a completely different number from ERA in a way that just makes me think like this is this feels like a you know, almost like a theoretical number or something that's not quite representative of a game being played. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in the, in the case of Reynaldo Lopez, though, I will say that was one where he had a, you know, first year and a half in the majors, or at least the White Sox, he had a respectable ERA, and DRA was saying that he was a six-run pitcher. 
in the next two years, he has an ERA of basically six. And then you think like, oh, all right. So maybe he actually was on board, although with DRA, it actually has him at seven and 7.6 over the last couple of years. But it does seem like it's unnaturally bearish in a way that I think is sometimes not useful to the discussion at hand. So that's why that when it comes to Pakoda's projections, I tend to just, yeah, I can't quite, I have a hard time contextualizing it the way I can with ERA and FIP. Yeah, Lucas Giolito's deserved, deserved run average compared to the league last season was 76. So Lucas Giolito was 24% better in 2020 than league average. I, I don't know how he regresses in 2021. I, I just don't feel like there's anything to suggest that he's going to regress from last season. Unless it's maybe um, you know wider variety of competition, you know maybe that's I, strength of schedule. Listen, if these are the numbers for a top twenty starting pitcher, I am assuming Baseball Prospectus is thinking everyone in Major League Baseball on the pitching front is taking a step back. Pitching won't be as good in the league. That seems hard to assume, though, just because of, well, especially since the uh, report came out that the Major League Baseball is going to be deadening the baseball. seems like it's only going to get tougher to score. Right. So, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think I am very confident the White Sox are going to beat their Pagoda projection. And it, it's one of those, this is nice to know. If there is regression, if Dakota is right, the offense takes a step back. If Dallas Keuchel doesn't pitch as well he did, as well as he did in 2020, uh, if Lance Lynn is no longer this top five Cy Young in a candidate uh, after the trade, if Dylan Cease doesn't get better, if Ronaldo Lopez and Michael Kopech can't figure it out, then yeah, the White Sox are going to win 83 games. So if you want a projection that highlights a lot of what could go wrong in 2021, Dakota might be right. And I, well, I think too, like if you compare the curves year over year and, and the range of projections, I think it also shows, you know, if you look at it for trying to, to find the upper level outcomes that Pakota projects, I think the one thing it did well with the curve is show that compared to last year, there are more ways for them to win games in the high 90s like last year they had an upside uh that was more projectable than you know maybe any year since uh that's you know the, the aughts but when it comes to like the upper upper level projections like trying to get them like over 90 wins it seemed like they had a pretty stiff limit to their upside uh like they, it tended to drop off uh, pretty dramatically towards like the high 80s like trying to get uh advance the win total into 90s and beyond was was harder to see here the the slope down towards the more extreme projections towards 100 wins is more gentle so i think that's the one thing it captures is that there are more ways for the white Sox to beat that projection handily uh i think it's just maybe a little bit pessimistic in terms of uh how many ways it can go wrong uh and i, I think that that speaks to the you know, Mankata, Anderson, Vaughn projections that we've talked about. Uh, like, I, I don't see a scenario where the White Sox win 62 games. That doesn't involve dysentery. <laughs> oh, man. Well, hey, somebody had a pretty dramatic, bold prediction on the From the 108 uh, virtual fest. And if that were to happen... I mean that would be that might cause your bold prediction of Tony La Russa not making throughout the season if the White Sox are a 62 win team uh, in 2021. It's like one of those uh, uh, the outside of the uh, what is that game o OTP where everybody just gets hurt. Giolito. Yeah, that, that was my experience. <laughs> yeah, Giolito uh, needs Tommy John. Lance Lynn tears his ACL. You know, Emilio <laughs> Vargas has got to make 20 starts for you. Like, Yeah, I've heard great things about that game. I played it in the first month. Three guys suffered career-ending injuries. <laughs> yeah, it's it can be brutal if you don't change the injury settings. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a tough game. Anyways, okay. So, Jim and I agree. Pakoda is pretty pessimistic. For the 2021 White Sox, we really don't see the White Sox winning 83 games in 2021. Now, 
Fangraphs, I think, is closer to the mark. And it's not necessarily trying to fit my narrative, and I'll get to that in a moment. But Fangraphs is projecting the 2021 Chicago White Sox to finish 88-74, and 74, so a five-win difference from, from Bakota. And when it comes to projection models, that's pretty significant. The White Sox are still behind the Minnesota Twins. They're second place in the AL Central. The Twins are one game projected better than the White Sox as they are at 89 wins. And the White Sox chances of winning the American League Central increase pretty dramatically by 24% compared to Dakota. Fangraphs gives the White Sox 37.4% chance of winning the American League Central. And going back to offensive projections here, and like I mentioned for Yohan Mikado with Dakota, Fangraphs is projecting Mikado to hit 261, so a big jump in batting average. 333 on base percentage and slugging 459 with 24 home runs. Not quite to the level of 2019, but that's much better than what Pakoda was projecting. On um, Luis Robert, they got him hitting 264 with a 312 on base percentage, slugging 482, hitting 27 home runs. Uh, Tim Anderson. They have Anderson hitting 291, not 271, with a 318 on base percentage. And they got Anderson slugging 475, hitting 23 home runs. So Anderson, according to Fangraphs, uh, might produce more power numbers than Yohan Mikata in 2021. That's that's a that's a big surprise. And for Aloy Jimenez and Jose Abreu, still high. Uh, Fangraphs has Abreu hitting 29 home runs, driving in 112 RBIs. They got Jimenez hitting 34 home runs, driving in 106 RBIs. Both Abreu and Jimenez slugging over 500. And Nick Magical, they got Magical hitting 290 with a 335 on base percentage and slugging 368. I think that's a more realistic slash line for Nick Magical, and I really don't see him slugging over 400 in a full season. But again, we go back to Andrew Vaughn and projection models again, even for fan graphs, doesn't really know what to do uh, with Andrew Vaughn. As a matter of fact, he doesn't really show up <laughs> in the depth chart, uh, but we know that he's going to get the bulk of at bat. So we'll see when uh, that actually happens and we'll see what his 2021 uh, projected season's going to be. So for fan graphs, it is higher on the White Sox offense than for Dakota. And when you're hearing these numbers that I'm reciting, Jim, is there still anything that you hear that you would still debate and say, I think that is off? No, I think Zips uh, gets a lot closer to the mark. And I'm not saying that because uh, Dan Zimborski is such a good friend of the show. It's It feels more just reasonable like Tim Anderson batting 291 leading the team in average in fact like that seems right that <laughs> seems uh like you know maybe not leading the team maybe you think magical can hit higher but that's generally right uh I, I would say the one thing about the White Sox offense pro- uh, projections that Jose Abreu clocking in at 1.8 wins above replacement seems a bit pessimistic and um yeah, I think that's partially the first baseman penalty. Like, he was worth 2.6 wins above replacement last year in 60 games. So to to go from basically like a six-win pace to a two-win pace you know, seems like a, a, a rather abrupt turn after an MVP season. And that feels a bit uh, just wrong. On the other hand, you know, he was generally worth that much when you factor in his below-average defense the, the two previous years. So... I think it's useful to me in terms of like, what if Jose Abreu isn't a world beater anymore? What if he's just like the the power hitting first baseman everybody knew and loved, but just wasn't somebody who uh, just dominated the leaderboards and the MVP voting the way he did? Then I think, you know, that maybe brings the White Sox down to earth a bit, drags them into the high 80s. I, I will say when you look at the standings for both, it checks out in terms of just, you know, beyond the wins and losses, the odds of winning the division or the probability like in, in fan graphs, the twins are projected to win the division 48% of the time, the white Sox 40%, you know, 39.5. That feels pretty reasonable to me. When you look at Pakoda, uh, that has the twins winning, uh, the division 61% of the time and the white Sox only 13%. And that feels way off. That's one of the numbers that, that jumps out to me thinking, you know, it doesn't seem like the white Sox are basically like a one in eight chance of winning the central 
Yeah, that you know, three and eight sounds reasonable. One and eight, no. So that's I think another reason why the standings square up to me more in Fangraphs. And then on the pitching side for Fangraphs, the big surprise again, in a really positive way, is that Fangraphs thinks Lucas Giolito is going to have the highest WAR. Yeah, like Lucas Giolito is a serious American League Cy Young contender, based on what Zips is projecting. For the upcoming season, uh, Lance Lynn, though, doesn't keep pace with Giolito. They see Lynn as only a 2.8 war starting pitcher, so not as good as he was with the Texas Rangers. And then Keuchel, really good numbers as far as a number three starter. Probably what we were expecting when the White Sox did sign him with a sub four ERA and at 2.6 war. But again, it's really hard to project big outbursts in production from Dylan Cease, Ronaldo Lopez, and Michael Kopech when they haven't shown much or not enough positive outcomes to suggest that this upcoming season is going to be a breakout on paper. It totally still can be a breakout. It's just it's hard to project that. Uh, so that's kind of how the White Sox pitching staff. And again, the bullpen will be one of the stronger bullpens, according to Zips, in all of Major League Baseball. So that's how they got the White Sox at 88 wins. And as a playoff team, they would be the fifth seed, according to the projected standings. Yeah, and Lance Lynn, you know, you, you mentioned that the, the 2.8 wins above replacement, isn't that remarkable? It's, it's, it's you know decent, but not remarkable. But it is only over 165 innings. So, you know, start for start, that's pretty good. And he's only been this, you know, league leading workhorse for one and a half seasons. So maybe that's why he doesn't buy into him being a 200 inning guy. But if he's, you know, 2.8 wins over 165 innings, he clears uh, three wins by plenty. He's above average. That's, I think, what more or less I had in mind for a projection like his. Okay. So while we think Fangraphs is more on the mark, let's talk about Vegas and what Vegas is currently putting out there. The Win Sportsbook in Las Vegas was the first sportsbook to release team over-under for wins. And for the Chicago White Sox, they are putting the over-under in wins at 91 and a half wins. So, if you use Bakoda, Bakoda would tell you, slam the under. Fangraphs would tell you, slam the under on the White Sox team wins. And as far as the odds of winning the American League Central, for those that live in the state of Illinois, uh, where you can place bets on DraftKings, PointsBet, and FanDuel, they've got the White Sox winning the American League Central at minus 150 odds, which is 2-3. to three. They give the White Sox 2-3 to three odds of winning the American League Central. That makes the White Sox heavy favorites to win the American League Central. And uh, the only teams that have uh, lower odds of winning their division are the New York Yankees and the Los Angeles Dodgers. So what we have here, reviewing what Vegas is putting out there, what people can put money on, what we've seen from Fangraphs, and what we see from Dakota Jim, when it comes to the 2021 White Sox, we're getting a very wide spectrum from three different sources. And we always say... The truth is probably somewhere in the middle. So should we just run with the fan graphs projection because it's in the middle of what Vegas thinks of the White Sox and what Dakota thinks of the White Sox? That's kind of how I'm leading. And I know you more you know more about Vegas and, and betting patterns than I do. And when when you know trying to assess the meaning of that, is that is that a case where money influences the line? Yeah, I, and I've been asking around for those that, like our friend Joe Ostrowski, who hosts multiple betting radio shows now, which, you know, awesome for him. And, you know, he's in touch with all of the guys that make the odds at the sports books in Vegas and all over the country. There's a lot of money, just like in 2020, coming in on the Chicago White Sox with future bets. So the win sports book, putting the White Sox at 91 and a half wins, are trying to take advantage of White Sox fans' enthusiasm. Would you put a bet over 91, 91 and a half wins for the Chicago White Sox? And if you're a White Sox fan, say yes, and you put that money on the win sportsbook. After a while, win may increase that. How about we put it at 92 wins? Can we get more money on the over, enticing you and keep going up and up and up to get as many over bets as possible? 
And then Wynn is going to be rooting against the White Sox. Um, they'll be the one hoping that Bakota is right because then they're going to make all this money. So I, I view Vegas right now, and I am really curious in what the sports books in the state of Illinois are going to put the White Sox team win total at. I think they're trying to take advantage of how excited White Sox fans are, are for the upcoming season. And they're putting some pretty high odds in the White Sox being successful, hoping that the White Sox are not as good as people think they are so they can make in a, they can rake in a lot of cash. That's why I was wondering if, you know, say before they published their books, they were thinking along the lines of fan graphs, then the money was saying like, no, we can push it higher. The way, you know, like a fan graphs algorithm is not going to be influenced by outside factors. Well, hey, if if we wanted to start something like uh, Reddit did with GameStop, everybody slam on the under until <laughs> until the sports books get that win total um, below ninety, and then turn around and hit the over. <laughs> oh man, just kind of treat it like the stock market. But right now, I I think that's yeah. what Vegas is doing, and. That's why there's such a disconnect because there will be a lot of people that say, well, Vegas is very good at the projections. Uh, That's why they win all this money. Well, a big part of how they make their money is that they really lure in enthusiastic fans and take advantage of them. And they love taking advantage of Chicago fans because Chicago fans for decades keep putting money on the Cubs to win the World Series, the Bears to win the Super Bowl, the Blackhawks to win the Stanley Cup. And now it's the White Sox that everybody is really hyped up and excited about. <laughs> Are they going to say that they uh, they bet on the White Sox to show? <laughs> no, it, and even that doesn't cash. Well, it, it was funny just reading all the articles and listening to all the gambling podcasts from all of the sports book directors last season uh, before the 2020 season started, the 60 game season started, and they were just fascinated. They're like, "This is the first time we've seen this much money on the Chicago White Sox." And they compared it to the Cleveland Browns uh, because there was a lot of hype and excitement about the Cleveland Browns. And they were really hoping the White Sox would not make the postseason and would not win the World Series because the books would lose a lot of money. And it's the same situation right now going to 2021. The Chicago White Sox are a very popular bet. They have the second best odds of winning the American League pennant uh, behind the New York Yankees. And they got top five odds in winning the World Series, according to Vegas. But again, to come full circle, <laughs> looking at Pakoda and Fangraphs, and you have a lot of baseball writers who look at these projections and look what Vegas is putting out there and really questioning of what is Vegas doing right now because... I just don't see a way that the White Sox can meet these lofty expectations. And that's why we're talking about this, because this is the narrative coming into the 2021 season. You got NBC Sports Chicago already tweeting out pictures, World Series or bust. I don't necessarily think the, you know, the expectations should be that high. But the way I look at the 2021 White Sox, Jim, and this number keeps coming back to me, I think the White Sox are a 90-win team coming into this season. And I think that would be excellent. That would be an excellent season for them, and that gives them a chance of winning the American League Central, and that's before they do make any trades to get better in before the end of July, and maybe they can increase to be a 92 or 93-win team in the second half of the season. But I just think the odds of them winning the American League Central 2-3 to three in Vegas is way off. But man, it's I think it's a lot better than the thirteen point four percent that Pakota's got. Yeah, well, it's it's funny uh, when when mentioning gambling in the White Sox, you mentioned like they haven't seen this much money coming in the White Sox, and I finished that since since nineteen nineteen. <laughs> it's a uh, it's so uh, it's association. I don't think it's going to take me a long time to have a neutral association with gambling. I just, you know, I tend to reflexively think it's poison just because of being so steeped in and seeing the White Sox uh, franchise ruined by it. And that's something, you know, we, we talked about with uh, uh, Jacob Pomeranke, you know, of Sabre, you know, when he talked about the Black Sox scandal and how just gambling is coming back and everybody's fine with it. Just, uh, it, it's just, 
that lets you into my thought process a little bit. I think the thing that's fascinating about the White Sox when looking at the range of outcomes and such is it, it seems like you can theoretically explain any kind of win projection between like 80, I would say like 82 and 95 wins and be completely reasonable and, and, and not be over optimistic and not be over pessimistic. And you could look way off at the end of the year. Uh, I think that's, that's uh, kind of, I'm looking at it. I think, you know, I, I see a lot of injuries and, 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 you know, potentially like say if, if say Lucas Giolito gets hurt or say if you have like some kind of Lucas Giolito's, you know, missing two weeks, it overlaps with Dallas Keuchel's missing two weeks. And so it's Lance Lynn and a bunch of, uh, you know, five inning starters. And I could see that being a bad two weeks for the White Sox. And depending on what time of year that hits, like I think if, uh, if they have like a bad month early, that could really poison the season the way like a bad month in June or July, they might be able to shake off. Uh, that's kind of where I am right now at the White Sox. So I'm thinking like, they kind of feel like 92 wins to me just because I think if hmm. they're going to be good, they're going to be really good. Like, you know, I, I think 95 wins and above. I'm not, I can't quite get there with a pr- prediction yet, but just, you know, I think that's my internal <laughs> like uh, algorithm is saying like, yeah, you, you can't run away with that excitement yet just because there are a lot of ways it can go wrong. So I average it down, but they just feel like if they're going to be 90 wins, they could be 95 to, to 98 just because they have three good starters. A lot of teams don't have three good starters. Dylan Cease, there's potential there. Michael Kopech, there's potential there. Fifth starter could be a mess, but that's the same thing for everybody. If they're healthy long enough, they can get reinforcements. If the you know, the lineup, if, if Adam Eaton is okay, and we keep saying that about every right fielder, the White Sox bring in if ex right fielder is okay. If, if Andrew Vaughn's okay at DH, like they'll be great. But uh, just the White Sox tend to be rewarded, you know, and or punished for how much thought they put into a position. So that's, I think, what what suppresses my enthusiasm is the historical knowledge that the White Sox managerial decisions tend to work out as well as they deserve to. Uh, any kind of solutions for a position of need, tends they, they tend to not be rewarded by cutting corners. They, they tend to be uh, severely punished because Rick Hahn can't shop in the bargain bin. So I think that's what ultimately keeps me from getting carried away. But I think, you know, Part of my brain is saying 92 wins just because if they don't get there at this point, it'll be a dis- disappointment. So I think that's why I feel like Well, that. I did ask in our show poll on Twitter, which you could follow us on Twitter at Sox Machine. You could follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. And our show poll was if the White Sox team wins over under, was a win lower than the win sports book? If it was set at 90 and a half wins, how would you bet? Over 90 and a half wins or under 90 and a half wins? So, Jim, with what you just said, would you be betting over on the White Sox on 90 and a half wins? I would say I'd bet under because I don't like peer pressure. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like, you know, as you mentioned, you, you laid out the, the, the Vegas rationale of just like reeling in suckers, you know, or what they perceive to be suckers who are overexcited about the White Sox. I would say, nope, not getting me. All right. Privately, I would think 92, but my money would okay. say 88. Got it. Got it. You're hedging. An emotional hedge. A lot of people like to do that. It's it's emotional hedge. I just think it's, you know, it, it's just how I handle, like, just them thinking that I'm dumb for doing it. <laughs> well, our followers, uh, over 625 votes, uh, 59% would bet the over and 41% would bet the under right now. So... Again, a lot of enthusiasm uh, for the White Sox as far as over-under wins. And uh, again, we'll see on how things go and how the White the 2021 White Sox fare against their projections during the season. It is good to know, though, what other computer models are thinking of the team with Dakota and Fangraphs and how Vegas is hyping up the White Sox as well for, uh, obviously, their needs. Uh, gives everyone the ability to gauge if the White Sox outperform or underperform expectations when we review the 2021 season. But the Chicago White Sox and the other 29 Major League Baseball teams will be playing under a couple of rules carrying over to the 2021 season. Are you ready for more seven-inning doubleheaders and a runner at second base to start extra innings? 
Well, we'll discuss that after a quick word from our sponsors. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Listen, you hear that? That's the sound of nothing. And nothing is what you'll pay for medium fries when you buy any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich. It's crispy, juicy, tender, all-white meat chicken with crinkle-cut pickles on a buttery potato bun. Mmm. Buy one, and we'll hook you up with a free medium fries. That's like zero zilch zip. So try any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich and get a medium fries. For nothing. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. Major League Baseball and the Players Association agreed on carrying over the following following rules from the 2020 season. Doubleheaders will be two seven-inning games. Each offense will get a runner on second base to start extra innings. The active roster limit is going to start 26 players, but expand to 28 in September. And Major League Baseball teams are permitted to carry up to five additional taxi squad players on their road trip. So they don't have to prevent anyone from flying from like Charlotte, uh, for example, from the AAA uh, affiliate to wherever the White Sox are playing, which is interesting because who could be on that taxi squad? Those players would not be playing games in the minor league. So could we see more veterans on that taxi squad while letting the prospects play more in the minor league affiliate? Something to think about as we inch closer to the opening day roster. These rules, though, are not new for White Sox players, but they will be new for their new manager, Tony LaRussa. And Jim, how do you think LaRussa, again, who hasn't managed since 2011, he's been involved in baseball, he's seen it play out from the front office, but now with him calling the shots, this is new to him. He's never managed a two seven-inning doubleheaders in his career. Uh, he's never managed a game in extra innings where there's a runner on second base. We got to see how, how Rick Renteria handled uh, as far as these situations, but we get to learn on how a new manager facing these new rules gets to handle this for the first time this upcoming season. I don't think he'll stand out just because I think it's too new. And I think the when they pop up, the seven-inning doubleheaders, the extra innings, it's just too rare. The The circumstances are too uh, disparate. Just, it, it's hard to... Um, you know, know the pitchers available, whether they're just trying to save arms, whether one team can floor it in terms of usage, you know, based on the schedule. I, I think there's, it's just too hard to isolate tendencies given the circumstances. So I'm optimistic, or at least, you know, I give him some credibility that he'll prepare as well as any manager can. And then it'll just come down to who's available, what's, what's worth pursuing that day. For the seven inning doubleheaders, I think this is intriguing to me because it goes back to our previous conversation that we had on the last podcast when we talked about Garrett Crochet and Andrew Vaughn. And if the White Sox are interested in actually trying to get Garrett Crochet and develop him into a starting pitcher, I think the seven inning doubleheaders can be taken advantage of for the White Sox because I think in those situations, I would like to see Garrett Crochet start one of the doubleheader games, Jim, give him an opportunity to stretch out to 60 pitches and see what he can do over that duration. If he only lasts a couple innings, or maybe he gets you into the fourth inning, which would be half the game. I think that is something to watch and something that I would like Larusa to try over the season. Uh, especially if you, you have a situation where Keuchel has to start one of the doubleheader games because it's his turn and you don't want to push Cease up a day uh, to make his start. So instead, on that second game, I would like to see Garrett Crochet make those starts during the doubleheaders. If the White Sox are going to stay true to their word, and if they do really want to try and stretch out Garrett Crochet to be a starter for next season, those would be your opportunities to try. Yeah, that's interesting. It just brings to mind, um, you know, reading about old White Sox teams in the 1950s and 60s, Al Lopez teams. And, you know, the, the league was smaller then, but, you know, it would come down to, you know, White Sox and Yankees. And 
Lopez would always leverage his start, best starters against the best teams. And so you'd have Billy Pierce like facing the Yankees a disproportionate amount of times and, and sometimes coming in relief to face them. Like uh, Lopez really weighed those games more. So I'm, I'm thinking about that situation, like say if they have a doubleheader against the Twins or a doubleheader against the Indians and, and that's a game they think they can steal, you know, like especially like say later in the year where, you know, uh, Crochet has got some innings in him. They have, they feel like they have uh, confidence on what he can handle and how he recovers for future usage. And they feel like they can steal a game by having Crochet go half of it. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of a cool possibility. And yeah, I, I saw like, a, yeah, I'm not sure how you feel about it, but you know, I saw a lot of um, reflexive criticisms of the runner on second and the uh, sevening double headers just because I think my Twitter feed leans more traditionalist. But I, I think for this season, as long as you have these COVID protocols, I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we saw the usefulness of it last year. And I think I, I think it's smart to be on the safe side and not get cocky with uh, uh, how the schedule could get convoluted later in the season, uh, just watching what's happening with other sports. I think long-term, the double headers at least, is a good idea for baseball. Only because of the amount of pitching injuries that we see season in season out. And this is how the minor leagues is set up. And I think that if teams are so concerned about pitching injuries, this, this helps you. It's, it's four fewer innings that you have to worry about. If you don't go into extras uh, during the season, uh, or at least as far as that particular day, you don't have to worry about burning out your bullpen on one day when you may still have two more games in that series and you don't have another off day for seven more days. Mm-hmm. I, I think the seven inning double headers are worthwhile to stick around even after the upcoming CBA. And this is the way it's going to be. I, I don't know if we're going to revert back to two nine inning games uh, for a double header. And for the traditionalists, they're not going to like that. And I understand, you know, you don't want less baseball. If you love baseball, you want more baseball. Uh, so why are you trying to reduce the amount of innings? But I think from a, an injury concern, I see the seven inning doubleheader sticking around. I'm not quite sure yet if the runner on second to start every extra inning is going to stick around. You know, we, we bring in the minor league broadcasters and I am start. It started off with, I don't like this rule to now I've gotten used to the rule and I kind of like it. And I'm wondering if that will be the same transition in major league baseball. I despise it. Nobody likes this. It's not really baseball. It's a crazy idea. But if they continue doing this throughout the 2021 season, Jim, I'm wondering if minds will start to change that baseball is trying to get the game over as quickly as possible so we don't see a 16-inning affair during a mid-June game. And again, it could burn out both teams as far as their roster uh, and again, during COVID, they may have to dip into that taxi squad just to make it through the series. And it could really impact as far as the team's opportunity to contend if it racks up more injuries. Uh, but I, I don't know long-term if we're going to continue to have a runner on second to start every extra inning. I think between the two, the rule that's got a better chance of sticking around after this season into the future is the double headers being two seven inning games. Yeah, I, I think my main objection to the runner on second is that a pitcher can retire all three batters he's faced and get tagged with loss. That's, I think, what's most unsatisfying to me is that just doesn't, you know, being a student of box scores and growing up on them and, and you know, getting a summary that way, just like, how did he get the loss? He <laughs> gets chop. That's, uh, I, I think, a bit un, unfair. And, and maybe I'll stop caring about that, but it's, uh, um, yeah, it, it's, to me, it doesn't matter enough to get all that mad about it. Like the number of games affected is rare. Number of double headers is few. Like if they start scheduling seven inning double headers, that'll be weird. Like going out of their way to like, you know, cram more games into a, a schedule or create more days off. I wouldn't like that. But, you know, if they're rain created, weather created double headers, then I, I think I have a harder time getting all that upset. I, I want to kind of go back to the... Uh, 
Um, you, you mentioned the taxi squads and yeah, that's fascinating to me. Just having, you know, I, I think the balance of trying to figure out how to start a triple A season uh, or a triple A leagues in general, while having players available is going to be a tricky balance. And I, I'm hoping I didn't jump the line and screw up your order, but no, no, it, it's, that's fascinating to me. Just, uh, I think double A and the A ball, uh, teams and we'll yeah imagine we'll check in with those broadcasters later in the year i think they have it easier and and a much easier job by waiting a month into the season having it delayed but i think the first month is gonna be a mess it'll definitely be a mess and it does raise the question here okay so the white Sox signed jonathan lucroy to a minor league contract and if he doesn't look washed if he looks like he is the more reliable backup option to yasmani grandal we could see Lucroy get promoted to the major league roster and he's going to be on the 26 man team. I still think even in that situation, we may still see Zach Collins on the opening day roster. Uh, unless the white Sox are very confident that Andrew Vaughn is the opening day DH. And I'm starting to be on that train because I think Vaughn is going to show he's a better hitter than Collins and your Mercedes. But let's say Vaughn does beat out Collins. What do you do with Collins? Do you keep him on the taxi squad and he hangs out with the team? Or you send him to Charlotte that he gets more plate appearances, knowing that you can't add him back into the taxi squad until the series is over? I think you have to prioritize at-bats for players who you think might have to contribute at some point. Like, you know, last year was different because they didn't have real games as an alternate um outcome yeah they, they were playing at the alternate training sites working against you know upper level pitching and i'm sure you know there's use of varying kinds to some players here and there uh but i but it's just hard to imagine that they would bypass the opportunity to get at bats see like even if zach collins is you know kind of a tweener and you know overqualified for triple a i still think there's value in getting back to facing pitchers who are not wearing the same uniform so i'd like to see him do that i think the the fascinating thing that is going to be like just, you know, I, I was following the uh, a little bit of discussion about Ryan Braun in Milwaukee and how he's just, he's mm-hmm. not officially retired, but he doesn't really want to play anywhere else but the Brewers. Uh, and, and, you know, he, he only batted 233 last year. He's going to be 37 years old. He had a OBP of uh, 281. So there's not really a whole lot of value there. He hasn't really offered much defensively, he hasn't in years. But just like, what if they kept him on the taxi squad? Just like paid him a little bit of money to have him around, like almost like, army reserves but for baseball like weekend warriors they just go on a road trip and and they they keep you know marginally in shape you know ready to come in and yeah. uh, that might be an insult to army reserves <laughs> That's the case. I, I i uh yeah i might be at the risk of uh, stretching that a bit too far but like i was thinking the white Sox are paying paul canerco like a million dollars a year with this buyout like what if they could just rope him in to just travel with the team <laughs> Just think of a spot on the taxi yeah. squad. Well, I mean, we also have to consider Tim Beckham and Nick Anderson, right? Uh, no, Nick Williams. I'm sorry. Nick Williams. Yeah. Uh, the, the the guys that have had major league experience that the White Sox have signed to minor league contracts just in case if an outfielder gets hurt, Williams can come up and be that fourth outfielder when Adam Engel needs to make more starts. And if Tim Anderson gets hurt, pulls his hammy, uh, Beckham can be called up and he'll get some starts at shortstop. Are Williams and Beckham on the taxi squad and the Charlotte Knights need somebody else to play in the outfield and at short? Is that okay with Williams and Beckham that they're not playing? They're just kind of chilling with the team and they're traveling with the major league team, but they're on the taxi squad just in case if somebody does get hurt, they can be called up the next day. Like, I wonder if that's how Beckham and Williams will be used for the White Sox is to be on this taxi squad. And we're not going to see them play games at AAA. And the White Sox have to figure out who their shortstop is going to be. Uh, maybe it is Danny Mendek in Charlotte. And uh, who one of their corner outfielders is going to be if Williams and Beckham's going to constantly be traveling with the team. Yeah, I, I could see, like, you know, I'm curious how that goes into language for these minor league contracts is, you know, are they... 
you know, can, can they opt out if they're going to be on taxi squads? Is that even covered? You know, like whether they're actually playing real games against real opponents versus just hanging around. Like I'm thinking like, you know, with like, like a guy like Lucroy, um, you know, say if the White Sox wanted to, if Collins looked good enough to back up Yasmani Grandal at the start of the year, but like they kind of like the idea of Lucroy traveling around and helping, like being almost like a, a, a traveling, although Jerry Naren, if he's going to be, the catching guru and actually uniformed and in the dugout, then maybe that doesn't make sense. But just, you know, somebody who's maybe at the end of the line still has something to offer, but also just won't be missing out. Like just might appreciate the paycheck and kind of shifting into a coach role, um, you know, maybe towards the end of the career and considering other paths. Uh, like I'm thinking like Miguel Cairo, you know, he talked about wanting to shift into a different line of work. Like that could be like an ideal case for like a Ryan Braun type, you know, even if he isn't going to be going coaching, but just somebody who's, at the end of the line, doesn't have anything to gain by showing up, showing well in AAA. Might not want the AAA kind of travel, but just wants to be able to be around and helping, and and you know, have one more shot at it if everything breaks right or wrong in some cases. That might be like a unique experience slash you know way in to a post career hmm. career. That's a good point. I don't know who would be good candidates right now with the White Sox, but I could definitely see that. It, it is odd, you know, that the taxi squad is going to continue. And once, you know, everybody has their COVID vaccines, maybe the taxi squad goes away. But for the time being going into this season, it, it does raise some questions of, well, Tim Beckham's not going to make the team, but Beckham's not going to Charlotte. He's sticking around with the White Sox and being on the taxi squad. Kind of like how I think Yomer Sanchez was that before he was added to the team. Uh so it'll be, mm-hmm. be intriguing that we'll still see these guys' faces in the White Sox dugout, but they're not uh, they're not active uh, until they need to be called up. And it does raise questions on how you want to use Zach Collins because if he's not on your taxi squad and Grandel gets hurt, well, you're not picking up the phone and calling him up and having him travel from Charlotte because of COVID restrictions. So how would the White Sox handle that? Uh, we, we'll see how when the season starts, but uh, I like the idea of white Sox reserves, white Sox reserves. <laughs> uh, now speaking as far as COVID, some of the things that are going to be carrying over from last season into this season. So if a player tests positive for COVID during the season, there is a 10 day isolation period. So if any white Sox player tests positive for COVID during the season, just assume they're out 10 days. Individuals who have been identified as having close contact with that player or coaching staff member that has tested positive COVID has to be subject to a mandatory quarantine of seven days. And they must test negative on day five or later before rejoining the team. So if a White Sox player uh, breaks the rules, uh, goes to the club on the road, gets COVID, comes back, hangs out with a couple of his teammates. That player that tests positive is out for 10 days, and his teammates are out for at least seven days. So be really interesting in the conversations that the White Sox clubhouse will have with each other. But this also pertains to everybody else that's going to be in the club clubhouse. Uh, we saw this with the Super Bowl. The Kansas City Chiefs barber tested positive for COVID, and they had to stop him mid-haircut. Uh, so this pertains to everybody uh, within the Chicago White Sox. So something to keep mind of, of going into the season. And, uh, you know, some of the restrictions for the players themselves, like they have a new league-wide code of conduct uh, pro- prohibiting players from participating in high-risk activities outside the ballpark. They don't want players to be doing indoor gatherings of 10 or more. Uh, with indoor restaurants, bars, lounges, again, I mentioned clubs, uh, fitness and wellness centers, entertainment centers, casinos. They really don't want the players to be going there. And when they're on the road, they want the players to pretty much be at the hotel, go outside to go pick up food to bring back to the hotel. And from the hotel to the stadium where they're going to be practicing and playing their games, while on the road. So everything that they had to deal with in 2020, at least to start 2021, 
those will be the rules. So again, to come full circle, the short version, if a White Sox player tests positive for COVID during the season, they're going to be out 10 days. And if any other players or coaching staff members were around that player who tested positive, they're going to be out seven days. So again, that's also going to be pretty crucial of which teams can avoid the COVID outbreak and really impact as far as their chances on what kind of talent they're going to be able to put on the field day in and day out. Well, two rules that jumped out to me uh, when I was looking through the Ken Rosenthal article about just different uh, things that are being introduced to the rules in order to just try to get through this. In spring training, they're going to be, at least in the early stages, going to be really relaxed, kind of like we saw with the um, just kind of the intra-squad games where you just think like, okay, we're this guy's throwing too many pitches. We don't want to get through the inning. We're calling it over. I think they said minimum of 20 pitches. After that, they can agree to call the inning over. So I think you're going to see if they do the spring training webcast, we'll see if they do that. They might That might be a, a, a casualty of any kind of COVID precautions for non-playing staff. But you could just see some you know abrupt ends to innings uh, and and being fine with that. And some games, I think, are going to be five innings and seven innings. They're going to be basically B-game rules for the actual spring training game. So that'll be kind of fun uh, early on to see just exactly how that's managed and whether that affects workloads and ramp-ups. Uh, the other thing is is, is that uh, the um, the cameras or at least the video rooms are still not going to be happening, but the video will be accessible on iPads in the dugout, and they're going to be like basically either obscuring or blurring out the catcher's crotches in order to <laughs> not be able to use that. Like basically the video in between you know being taken and then being presented on these. Uh, issued iPads is that they're going to be like, however it's going to happen. I'm not sure if it's going to be like pixelated, like it's going to look like the catcher's got like Holmes pants just <laughs> dangling out there, but they're like, they're going to be obscuring the sign so they can't you know, pull Astro's business on it. And that could be unique. So I know like uh, the White Sox didn't have too many people complaining about this, but Yasmani Grandal was one of them who said that hitting without being able to consult the video room was different this year. Yeah. And JD Martinez was somebody who complained Javier about it. Bias. Javier yeah. Bias. Yep. Yep. Jinx. Uh, the, you know, there are a number of cases where guys who had bad seasons pointed to that. So that's one case where, um, you know, maybe some offense will bounce back. They'll, they'll deaden the ball maybe. And, and so home runs will drop, but also maybe that'll be offset by hitters being able to see video again in some form. Yeah. And I think that's going to be a story during the season. If we are seeing improvement again from those hitters that were, I don't want to say complaining, but voicing their frustration that, well, thanks Astros and Red Sox. I can't use this tool mid game to make mid game adjustments when I'm seeing a pitcher for the second or third time and how they're attacking me. And it's impacting as far as my performance. We'll see for those particular individuals if they improve, especially the second time and third time that they are facing a pitcher and uh, see on what if it, if it is that big of a benefit to have that type of video technology for the, the hitters themselves uh, to check during games. It'll be pretty fascinating to see if it is a pretty big jump. I don't know if it will be a big jump, but I, I got to imagine that there's some type of benefit, even if it's a pixelated crotch, uh, <laughs> the catchers, <laughs> that they can at least see on how pitchers are attacking them and where at least their barrels are ending up in the zone compared to where the pitch is entering the strike zone. I think it's going to be more anecdotal. Uh, the, I, don't, I don't think there'll be enough success stories across the league, and especially since pitchers just keep getting better and better, and, you know, you're uh, – um, interview with Michael Fisher of Codify just makes me think like, what do hitters, what, what chance do hitters have? Like, how do they, how do they do their jobs? <laughs> That's kind of my takeaway. Every time I read about pitching developments and pitching labs and what, uh, you know, Ethan Katz and Dylan Cease and so forth are working on. So I, I think the it's going to be tough to hit. Uh, I think you're going to see hitters keep selling out for homers because that's the way to do damage against uh uh, quality major league pitching, but I think you're going to see some victories on individual levels, and hopefully the White Sox have a few of those. Well, we shall see, but that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you to everyone that has listened. Greatly appreciated. And if you enjoy our work, there's a couple of ways that you can help support us. One is by becoming a friend of the podcast and a supporter of SoxMachine.com at Patreon.com slash SoxMachine. It has been 
Prospect Week on SoxMachine.com. And Jim has been answering our Patreon supporters' questions in P.O. Sox mailbags. Uh, so they're getting that exclusive content. Uh, also, at the end of Prospect Week is my top prospects list, which is only available to people who support us on Patreon. Awesome. So if you would like that content, go to patreon.com slash machine to sign up. Uh, we have tiers that start as low as $2 a month to get that exclusive content. And you will also receive an ad-free version of the podcast in which our podcast supporters on Patreon get an opportunity to ask questions to our future guests, uh, which we are lining up uh, a couple of guests before spring training comes around. And I do want to touch on that. Uh, the second way that you can support us is that we do have Sox Machine swag that you can purchase on SoxMachine.com. We've got some t-shirts. I'm going to be moving soon, so please buy a t-shirt so I don't have to move it with me. Um, but we also have stickers and coasters and buttons, etc. So if you already support us on Patreon, great. If you don't have a Sox Machine t-shirt, uh, buy one at, on SoxMachine.com. Uh, they're just $25 and it includes shipping. As far as the podcast schedule, because we did get some questions on when are we going to go back to our routine on Monday episodes. And that is going to be on February 22nd, in which that's when spring training uh, would have already started already at pitchers and catchers report. Uh, the players will be reporting on February 19th. We will get back into rhythm on February 22nd uh, to preview as far as spring training and talk about the top battles during camp. And then in the month of March, we're going to have our position previews. March 1st will be our starting pitchers preview. March 8th will be the bullpen preview. March 15th will be the infield preview. March 22nd will be the outfield preview. And of course, we'll recap the action of the games that we're able to see during spring training. And then on March 29th will be our season predictions uh, episode. We talked a little bit about our thinking now. We'll see if our predictions change what we see during spring training and then april 1st is opening day so we are quickly approaching the 2021 season starting uh, which is very exciting but that's what you can look forward to with the upcoming podcast schedule as we get back into our routine as far as having new episodes for you on monday for those that haven't subscribed to the Sox Machine podcast, you can do so wherever you listen to podcasts and you can give us a rating as well on Apple Podcasts and we are on Spotify. And the Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Spring is calling, and Target's ready with deals for your outdoor space. Grab miracle Grow Potting Mix, on sale at two for $8. Plus, get 20% off planters and more. Find spring's best outdoor buys at Target, where low prices and great deals make it easy to save. Restrictions apply. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.